0: Hello, this is Dr. Sheila Kilbane, and today we'll be mapping dairy on the 15 Minute Matrix.
1: Welcome to the 15 Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, Functional Medicine Nutritionist and your host. The 15 Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons, which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. And that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected. We are all unique and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with the amazing Dr. Sheila Kilbane. Sheila Kilbane, M.D., is a board-certified pediatrician who trained in integrative medicine with Andrew Weil, M.D., and is a best-selling author. She uses the best of conventional and integrative medicine to identify and treat the root cause of children's illnesses. Her goal is to help children reach optimal health so they can thrive. Using her seven-step process along with natural and nutritional therapies, Dr. Kilbane helps significantly improve or resolve altogether childhood illnesses such as colic, reflux, eczema, recurrent ear and sinus infections, asthma, allergies, constipation or loose stools, and other GI issues such as abdominal pain. In addition to seeing individual patients at her private practice in Charlotte, North Carolina, Dr. Kilbane gives educational lectures to parents and healthcare professionals around the globe and offers online educational courses, which you can learn more about in the show notes. Dr. Kilbane, thank you so much for joining me on the 15-Minute Matrix.
0: Oh, Andrea, it is my pleasure. I am extremely excited to be here and to have this conversation with you.
1: Well, I've been wanting to have you as a guest on the podcast for a very long time, and I've also wanted to talk about dairy for a very long time as well, so I'm eager to dive into this controversial topic, particularly with you, and particularly as it relates to kids' health But before we get there, I do want to congratulate you on your book, Healthy Kids, Happy Moms, Seven Steps to Heal and Prevent Common Childhood Illnesses, which we'll link in the show notes. And that came out in September 2021. And I wanted to ask you, Dr. Kilbane, how, as a pediatrician, you actually stumbled upon the powers of nutrition?
0: Yes. It's
1: so funny
0: for me to think about this now because... As many of your listeners know, we get very little nutrition training in medical school, at least when I trained, you know, a while, almost 20 years ago now. And when I got out of residency, I was seeing these kids, right, these recurrent illnesses, chronic runny nose, eczema, reflux, recurrent ear and sinus infections, asthma, allergies. And... I am just not somebody who's going to keep doing the same thing over and over. And so I realized I was giving them a medication, whether it was a steroid or an antibiotic and they would get better for two weeks and they'd get sick again for two weeks. And so I just, you know, started playing around with things and realizing we would, we started listening to the moms shifting the kids nutrition. And we started seeing a lot of these chronic and recurrent illnesses melting away. So it was, very much a trial and error because I realized what I was doing was not giving us long lasting results.
1: Well, kudos to you. I think we're all sitting here in the nutrition field thinking, where can we find more of you, Dr. Kilbane? And often I'm saying we need to support the doctors because like you said, you didn't get that training and you do have support in your practice as well. A hundred percent, and that's
0: why you know I have a health coach who works in my practice, and I've had at least one mom go through your training program, and she's with another doctor now. And I have another mom who's just now going down this road, and we were just talking about you last week. I pulled you up on Google to show her, and in the realm of nutrition, I think, and conventional medical training is that. We don't know what we don't know. So you'll hear people go right to the medical doctor and they'll say, Well, no, that doesn't play a role. I prefer the answer be, you know, I haven't really delved into the research. I'm not sure, but that's just not the way we always work in conventional medicine. And so the answer is usually more so to negate families' questions about nutrition. And so I think with more and more people being educated in this and more health coaches available to support physicians and families. We're really starting to see headway.
1: Yeah, yeah. You really hit the nail on the head there in terms of why concerns often get dismissed and can become confusing. So speaking of concerns, let's dive into the dairy debate And I'm wondering if you could start us off by talking about the components that are found within cow's dairy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For those of you listening, it's chapter seven in my book. I wrote Rethinking Dairy, Science Versus Marketing. And I knew that I had come full circle when the president of the Charlotte Pediatric Society asked me to do a talk on this. And he's he's also my good buddy. You know, I've been on his podcast for years, and that's how I knew it was really starting to get more in the mainstream. And so the way I lay it out is casein is the big inflaming protein in dairy. The medical world is highly focused on lactose intolerance. And we know that it's extraordinarily rare for a baby to be born with a complete lactose deficiency. Most of the time when babies are having an issue or even older kids with dairy, it will often be the casein. That's the protein. And casein can be inflaming. It can create an opiate-like effect, which is where kids will maybe their moods will be off, behavior swings, sometimes irritability, trouble sleeping, and then there is also a glutamate effect that you can get with dairy. And what happens is they're in the protein chain. So glutamate is an amino acid and there's protein in dairy. And in that protein chain, Once we eat it and it gets broken down, there's a lot of free glutamate. We know it as MSG, monosodium glutamate. Most people don't realize that you are getting exposed to a lot of free glutamate when you're eating a whole lot of processed dairy. And that is also where we get to that glutamate can act as an excitatory neurotransmitter. There are not only all of these inflammatory issues, but we're also altering our neurochemistry with this.
1: Yeah. So inflammatory neurochemistry, we have a whole podcast on glutamate with Dr. Catherine Reed, which we'll link to also in the show notes to understand that better. So this is what's going on in the body based on the casein. We also have other constituents that we might think of as positive in dairy, right?
0: Right, right. So we've got embuterate, which is really wonderful, well, in butter, I should say, and that's going to help feed the good bacteria in the gut. There's fat in dairy, which we all know that we went crazy on the low-fat diets, and we need the fat, and especially in pediatrics. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics tells us that kids should be drinking whole fat milk until they're two. And that's because the myelin sheaths around our nerves are not fully developed until we're about 18 months of age. So we do get that fat from dairy. And there are many other ways that we can get that fat, avocado, fish, meat, eggs, coconut oil. So years ago, I stopped recommending once kids stop breastfeeding, or once they're done with their formula at a year of age, I switch them to water. And I'm just really careful that we're getting enough fat in them, but there are enough other ways to get fat that it doesn't have to be through a food that's really inflaming and is not a nutrient dense
1: food. Does that make sense? it totally makes sense. And it can cause so many other issues. And the other place where there's so much controversy, especially with kids, is in the calcium that's included in milk. And I'm curious how you talk to parents about that.
0: Yeah. So early on, when I started figuring all these things out, I went, okay, if we're not going to do dairy, how are we going to get fat, calcium, and vitamin D? first of all, vitamin D, milk is fortified with it. It doesn't naturally have vitamin D, right? We get vitamin D through sunshine and cold water fish. And then when we it comes to the calcium side of things, we have equated dairy to healthy bones, where in fact, there are four main components that we need for healthy bones. The first and number one factor is physical activity. So across all the research that is the thing that we know makes a big difference with our bone health. Number 2 is making sure we have adequate amounts of calcium. And again, when you look at dairy, about 30% of the calcium in, you know, say a cup of milk is absorbed. Whereas if you take a cup of bok choy, you get about 50% of that calcium is absorbed. So we want to make sure that we're eating foods that our body can absorb the, you know, certain nutrients out of them. The third thing we need that need for bone health is an adequate amount of vitamin D and vitamin D helps us absorb calcium from our GI tract. So that's very, very important topic. And then the fourth thing is an adequate amount of vitamin K, vitamin K through green leafy vegetables. So those are kind of the four main things that we talk about. The fifth that I put in, this is my own number five, is magnesium. And magnesium becomes that mineral that we have just completely forgotten about in conventional medicine. And we need magnesium along with all the other trace minerals for healthy bones. And I think this is where we can look to the dairy advertisers that one single mineral has been given all this power over our bones is, it's just not the way medicine or anything in the body works. It's usually this orchestra of things that we need. And so I think just keeping that big picture in mind, there are a lot of different things that we need for healthy bones.
1: I have a big smile on my face and I'm really just thinking about how you're speaking from the functional nutrition lens, right? You're removing, but you're replacing key nutrients. You're not just removing. And what we often see is that people eliminate, 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 and then they become deficient in nutrients when they're changing their diet or they're eliminating foods from the diet without that consciousness that you're speaking to. I like to think of this as deficiency to sufficiency. On the other side of that is toxicity, right? So like you're talking about with calcium, which is a really interesting topic, a separate topic in terms of us as a country compared to to other countries, you know, magnesium is so important. It was the number one episode of the podcast, and we're over three hundred in. So mapping magnesium with Dr. Alan Gaby so important. But I love that you're talking about the constituents: fat, calcium, vitamin D, vitamin K, magnesium, and I'm sure some people worry about protein, and yet there's ways for us to get that in the diet if we know that dairy is inducing physiological problems or dysfunction. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely. Some people are just absolutely impacted more so by dairy than others.
1: And what does that look like? So you said inflammatory and that can be the skin and so eczema, allergies. What else are we seeing when we know this is a telltale sign of a dairy allergy sensitivity, or even intolerance.
0: Yep. And it's, it kind of looks like I have an image in my book where I go through a lot of these different things, but it's all of these inflammatory issues and it may not be all of them. It may just be a few of them. And it can be those dark circles under the eyes, bumps on the back of the arm or cheeks, eczema, chronic runny nose. When I was practicing primary care, I would see a lot of kids who were, had been placed on an antihistamine for years at a time. And I'd say, well, what is Johnny allergic to? And the mom would say, well, I don't know. The doctor just told us to go on this. And so I would say, let's do some allergy testing. Then if the allergy testing was negative, we would pull dairy out of their diet and the runny nose would clear up. That's where the good scientific inquiry, what is driving, what's triggering? symptoms, right? And so that's also where we avoid pulling a bunch of stuff before we know what we're looking for. Pulling a bunch of things, meaning a lot of foods. I just see so many kids who they've had food sensitivity testing and they've taken all these foods out of their diet and they get better for six months and then they get sick again. That's a whole nother topic, but let me get back to so some of the other symptoms, recurrent ear and sinus infections, constipation or loose stools, asthma that is you know, not well controlled, mouth breathing, snoring, all of these things are signs of inflammation. And when you start to improve the diet and decreasing or eliminating dairy, often you can see improvements in all of those different areas.
1: Yeah, really powerful to think about. And again, remove and replace, don't just Remove And I have to tell you a funny story, which you made me think of with the circles under the eyes and the chronic runny nose. My son is 21 now, but when he was little, when he was in kindergarten and grade school and he went to a Waldorf school, I would go to drop off and I would sit on these low benches outside of the classroom until the teachers allowed the children into the class. And I'd be at this level with the standing children with their faces in my face. I felt like intuitive, like I'd be seeing them and thinking they have dairy allergy, they can't eat gluten. They like, I could see it in their faces. And it was always amazing to me. It was overwhelming because I could see what the children needed to do. (laughs) But it was amazing to me that parents couldn't see it.
0: Right. And that's where I'm sure you're like me. I have to stop myself from, you know, because people really (laughs) don't want to hear it. No, they don't. to it. And so you can see these kids a mile away. And you just have to be careful once you know these things. So you don't, you know, just spew it out to them. But what I do with every talk I give, and on page 142 of my book, I have a photo, and they're smaller photos, it's not as easy to see as when I have it up on a slide during a talk. But that was one of my patients from years ago, and he had ticks really bad. And you can see he's got the pale skin, the like dark, like red circles under his eyes. He doesn't have a good, clear look in his eyes. And that is just a perfect example of an inflamed gut that's not absorbing nutrients effectively and efficiently. So it's the downstream impact. And that's why I love that you do the education that you do, because What I have found is it's our ability to articulate this to the parents that gives them that level of comfort and confidence in doing it and in being able to do it in the world, like grandparents are going to question it, you know, spouses are going to question it, babysitters will. So we need to arm them. And that's also why I wrote the book is I wanted people to just say, okay, here.
1: Yes. Yeah. Here. The doctor said so. (laughs) (laughs) it's not just me as mom, the doctor said, so.
0: (laughs) Yes. And it's the downstream impact that really gets into some of the other issues where if we've got all this inflammation from the dairy, we're not going to be absorbing our nutrients as effectively and efficiently as we could be. It will lead to the other thing. Like It might start with constipation, then it might lead to behavior shifts and mood swings and trouble sleeping and then attention troubles as they're getting on higher in school. And it's just the snowball.
1: Yeah. I definitely want to get to some how-tos, but before I do, you mentioned the leaky gut, that gut hyperpermeability. Would you say that's a reason why we're seeing an increased response to Dairy, and are we in fact seeing an increased negative response to dairy? We could talk for hours about this, but I think that we are using
0: pesticides in a, in a way that we never have, and we have billions and billions of gallons that are being sprayed on crops. You know, some of the components of these herbicide—I didn't—I meant to say herbicides—they are water soluble. And so I think that we have started to penetrate our environment so much and affect our food source that we've affected our gut bacteria. And that's where I think we have really gone astray. And we're seeing more and more food sensitivities and food allergies and peanut allergies. And we're seeing them earlier and earlier in kids And we're having to do a whole lot more work to help to get their systems back into balance. And that sounds very doomsday. So what we do is we just go back and I know this is the way that you teach is that we want to take this one step at a time, right? We want to focus on cellular health. So I just, I literally tell the parents is we are we want good, healthy cell walls. We want good nutrient exchange through that cell wall. We're going to think about your kids, like think about a cell on a Petri dish. We want to make sure the medium of the Petri dish supports the health of that cell. And that's how we ultimately start to shift things so that the whole being of the child is going to be doing better and be in better balance. We don't change the kids. We change the environment that their cells are in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us to another R, right? We removed, we replaced, where we're making sure we repair. So we're not just eliminating things without realizing like, why is the body responding like this? So- as we're doing that, and I have so many questions for you, we could talk for hours, I'm sure, of it, but one of the things that comes up is the quality of dairy. So we will have students who maybe eat more ancestral diets, and they believe that if the milk is unpasteurized, then it's okay. Not understanding that it's not about the quality of the food. Again, it's where the food meets the physiology. So What are your thoughts on like quality of milk in terms of the removal when those questions come up?
0: I love that. It's
1: where the food beats the
0: physiology.
1: I call it symbiosis, right? It's symbiosis.
0: Yes. So what I do at first, because we've got to get the system into balance to really figure out what foods are right for that body. I do a gradual elimination. We pull the dairy over three to four weeks and then keep it out. You know, If we see the improvements, we keep it out for at least three to six months. In my experience for kids, it takes about three to six months to really get the gut back into shape. And if we do it right from the beginning, we can usually get them to a place where they may be able to tolerate some high quality dairy. But I wait until we figure out how much of an impact dairy has on the body before we decide what and how much they can tolerate. And that goes for all animal species, whether it's goat's milk or camel's milk or sheep's milk or unpasteurized milk. If it's possible, you know, we pull it all and then we start to add them back in one at a time to figure out if the symptoms
1: return. Got it. And do you have a sense of how that response is in terms of quality? So when you're bringing it in, do you mean whole milk and or, I don't know if you live in a state where unpasteurized is even available, but I know that that question comes up a lot from people who are taking a more whole foods approach. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that introduction.
0: The first thing we usually introduce is butter, right? Because butter has a lower amount of casein than a cup of milk. And it's got so many wonderful health benefits. So we will start with butter. And then I really don't love for kids to be drinking a significant amount of milk, no matter what kind of milk it is, because milk is very filling. And again, it goes back to, it's not the most nutrient dense food that we have available. Pasteurized, unpasteurized, that pasteurization process is gonna make it a little bit more inflaming, right? Because you're gonna heat up a protein. And if everybody remembers physics, right? If you heat up a protein, it's gonna change the structure of the protein and that's gonna make it more inflaming. But, you know, then you've just got to make sure that you know how the cows are being handled. And, you know, in the perfect world, maybe you'd have a neighbor who has a cow and that's the, right. you, would, you know, <laughs> drinking some of, of that milk. I just wouldn't do a whole lot of it. And yogurt, my preference would be butter, yogurt, hard cheeses, aged cheeses. And then if milk were on the table, and you wanted to do that. I do love looking at more goat cheese, goat milk, sheep cheese, things like that, because it's the difference between the A1 and the A2 protein. And they are theoretically going to be better tolerated, not have as many GI issues. Same thing with a Guernsey cow, a Jersey cow, that's those A protein differences. And again, though, when we're doing the trial, we start off with no animal milks and then we add them in. Once we have the child system into balance, so that we're able to tell.
1: Dr. Kilbane, I love how much we were able to go from the high level, the theory, and you brought us right back into the tactics. How do we actually do this? How do we implement it? Is there anything that you feel like the industry is still just getting wrong that you want to shout from the rooftops? You know, if I had my druthers, I would really
0: have everybody focus strongly on digestion. Deb Allen is the integrative pharmacist who works with me, and she is the mother of triplets. And she is the one who really helped me to understand this is digestion, 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 right? We start off with a particular strain of a probiotic and a digestive enzyme before we start doing anything else. We don't do a lot of food sensitivity testing because for a lot of different reasons. But I think that we start to miss the forest through the trees sometimes when we're pulling some obscure foods out. And if the kids aren't off of gluten and dairy, in my mind, no matter what a food sensitivity test shows, we're going to go by the history and probably dairy and or gluten are going to be an issue. So I do those. And then, you know, three to six months later, if the symptoms aren't improving, then I would maybe do a food sensitivity test. But otherwise, I think it creates more stress. And I don't know that it's always necessary.
1: Yeah, so important. Again, not losing the forest for the trees, really understanding what's the terrain we're working in and what's the best way to get there and understanding that it's a journey. You're not removing everything at once. You're helping the family to adapt to a new lifestyle. You're helping a child to heal and to make changes that because of those addiction issues, like you said, the opioids and the opioid response, they may not want to make. What should we know about working with those children that are just don't want to change or stop eating.
0: Yes. I love this question. And it brings me back to early on when I was doing this, I would stop the kids cold turkey off of dairy. And the moms would call me and say, Oh my gosh, you know, Johnny's going berserk. And I was like, I'm sorry, we're on the right track though. Keep it up. <laughs> they get a kind of a withdrawal. So that's why I started doing it more slowly, especially if the kids are on like two and three cups of milk a day. Then we take it out of breakfast for the first week, lunch for the second week, dinner and snacks for the third week, so that it's just more of a gradual decrease. And then it also, in kids who are picky eaters, we get their palate open a little bit better and we start the probiotic and the enzymes, get their physiology improved a little bit, Because you don't want kids to lose weight. For a lot of the kids that I see, they're not eating enough and we have a challenge with their weight. So I wouldn't push it in those kids because we've got to let their systems kind of dictate how quickly we can proceed. But otherwise, once the kids get off of this, and I know that your listeners know this, is that those cravings go away once you're not feeding that you know, you're just not going to have those kind of cravings
1: anymore. Right. Yeah. So much gold, so many clinical pearls. Thank you so much, Dr. Kilbane. We will, again, link to the book in the show notes. I'm sure everybody listening is eager to get their hands on it, to see those illustrations and to get more of your practical advice. Thank you for the work you do and for joining me here today. Oh, thank you. The 15 Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale... Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your client's issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.